Welcome to the Nun Report, bringing your regular dose of truth, freedom, and weirdness with your host, Dan Nunn. Thanks for tuning in today to the Nun Report. Uh, it's, it's interesting and kind of ironic. So yesterday, just before I started recording, we found out that Emmer was out, that he was not, he was withdrawing his name for Speaker of the House. And later in the day, uh, evening, uh, a guy named Mike Johnson was nominated in their in their secret ballot, and I, I didn't really know a lot about him, so I started doing some research. So, ironically, today, just before I started recording, Mike Johnson is now the new Speaker of the House. So, the GOP has a new Speaker. This is a great thing. This is a good thing. This is, I think, like a lot of people, Mike Johnson. Okay, I, I've heard the name, know a little bit about him, not a lot. Started diving in, doing some research. Who is this guy that is now Speaker of the House? And what I found was that it is an improvement on McCarthy, in my opinion. I think that we did a lot to move the football down the field. I think we got a first down, and we're going to keep going. Uh, so I'm going to go through that. I'm going to go through my, my thoughts on that, what I think uh, happened, and and who, who he is. And I'm going to play a few clips for you on that. But one of the big things I want to – so, but stick around because – one of the things I really want to talk about today is our education system and what's being done to it. The fact that we have now a second generation of American children being destroyed by a Marxist left machine that is no different than China or the Soviet Union in many ways. And the way that they're separating children from their parents with their whether, you know, trusting with their, their sexuality or you know, shoving transgenderism down their throat and that sort of thing. In Oregon, we have... Now, again, they've extended until 2029, another five years. You don't, To graduate high school, you don't need to uh, show that you're proficient in reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, speaking English, writing English. You don't have to prove or show proficiency in any of those things in order to graduate in Oregon, and other states are not far behind. Similar things are happening in New York and in Nevada. We're going to look at that. We're going to also look at what are they teaching your kids? What are they teaching? If they're not teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic, what exactly are they teaching them? It's a massive social experiment. It's huge indoctrination of generations of American children. We already have college campuses full of whacked out leftists that have been indoctrinated throughout their youth. And now we're working on the next generation. And it needs to stop. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to put up some people who have some ideas on how to stop it. And that's going to be a big focus. We're going to do a quick little update on the war. If we have time at the end, I also do want to look at the border because there are some hearings going on in the Senate today that are relevant to that. And so let's let's kind of start with a quick little quick little hello from now Speaker Mike Johnson. We're going to serve the people of this country. We're going to restore their faith in this Congress, this institution of government. America is the last best hope of man on the. America is the last best hope of man on the earth, despite all of our flaws, or maybe because of them, I don't know. But we are still the, the, the best, most opportune country in the world. I firmly believe that. Here's a brief thing from the National Pulse from uh, Raheem Kassam's publication. This was William Upton, a little summary on who is Mike Johnson, the current Republican nominee, now I would say Speaker of the House, since that has been confirmed. Johnson was first elected in 2016 on the back of 
Donald Trump's historic presidential victory. So I like that. He, he hasn't been in there forever. He's not a career politician and part of the establishment. I think that's a good thing. Some people look at his lack of experience as a negative. I do not. I think it's good. The Louisiana Republican later became a key ally to President Trump when congressional Republicans made efforts to reject the certification of the 2020 presidential election after allegations of fraud and vote rigging. He also backed him, I would add, in in the impeachment inquiries and did not believe that what they were doing was correct. And he testified to that. And we're going to play a clip from that. The Louisiana Republican sits on the powerful judiciary. So he, he's, he works with Jim Jordan and Armed Services Committee and maintains close ties with both the House Freedom Caucus and key group of defense appropriators. Entering the sixth term in Congress, Johnson was a reliable vote for much of former President Trump's agenda. Johnson has voted against additional aid for Ukraine, although he did a vote for the initial package in the beginning, against codifying same-sex marriage, against certifying the 2020 election, and against the 47-day continuing resolution to fund the government. He did, however, vote in support of lifting the debt limit through January of 2025. Now, what you have here, what I see so far is a guy who, while he's very conservative on some fronts, some of his fiscal votes and, and thoughts seem to be kind of gray and in question. So time will tell. And we'll get to see which one of those are good and which ones are not. But, you know, we can't be, we can't have everything. We can't have perfection. Jim Jordan wasn't going to be speaker. He had too many enemies in the camp of the rhinos. It's unfortunate. I think he would have been great. But Jim Jordan is behind, is behind Mike Johnson. So is, so is Matt Gates. In fact, all of the Republicans were. And so at least, finally, we have a consensus. We have a guy in there. Let's listen to him a little bit. I mean, again, what, how he governs remains to be seen. I believe he is committed to releasing all of the J6 footage, but, you know, so did McCarthy. So we'll see if he follows through on that. That's a big reason, though, why McCarthy is no longer there, isn't it? So let's hear from him directly. I'm going to play a little clip. This is him talking about Congress impeaching a president simply because they don't like him. I play these clips because like you, I'm assuming a lot of you don't necessarily know a lot about Mike Johnson or who he is. So I've gathered a bunch of clips. That's kind of what I do. And then I comment on them, but I've gathered them in one place. So you can, if you want to just check this out and, and listen to my show and watch it, then you're going to get kind of a nice overview of who this man is. Here he is talking about impeachment. Check it out. Members have called for removal based on a myriad of objections against this president. Representative Al Green of Texas filed a resolution in the House for impeachment after Trump called for players kneeling during the national anthem to be fired. I mean, come on. You don't like his political positions? Great, but you can't impeach a president because you don't like him. That's not how this system works. We're in a constitutional republic. There are rules here. There are standards. You don't get to make that decision. The voters in this country do. And we have an election coming up in about 11 months. Let the people decide. Don't put yourselves in their place. You don't have the right to do it. You're not following the proper procedure. You're not doing this the right way. It's a rarely used constitutional device in our history. It's supposed to be. The, Professor Turley ended this way, and I will too. He said, quote, despite my disagreement with many of President Trump's policies and, states, and statements, impeachment was never intended to be used as a midterm corrective option for a divisive or unpopular leader, unquote. Look, we get it. You don't like him. 
That doesn't mean you can banish him from the marketplace. You can't send him out of his businesses and say he can't hold a position of honor or trust. You don't get the right to do that. The people of this country do. We live in a republic. I'm just sick of this. I I'm sick of it too. I'm sick of it too. You know what? It's uh, They continue to go after him, of course, by weaponizing the justice system. They're going after, they've indicted him like tons of times, right? Well, four times, like 90-something charges. It's ridiculous. It's completely politically motivated when you have a, a judicial system that's trying to take out political opposition. You no longer have a judicial system, and people wonder why we're upset. But I do want to, to focus on a, what he said in that little clip. He said it twice, that the United States is a constitutional republic, and thank God he gets that. See, because a lot of them don't get that, or if they do, they despise it. The, all those on the left, the leftists, the Democrats, they despise the fact this is a constitutional republic, and you will never hear them state the fact that it is because it doesn't support their arguments in the way they want to govern and rule. Many of the rhino Republicans are the same. You will rarely, if ever, hear them mention or support that the United States is a constitutional republic. Speaker Mike Johnson brought it up twice, just in that, just in that, in that minute and 12-second clip. And I like that. I like that he understands that. Not only that, I like that he he's committed to speaking that out loud and stating forcefully, look, we are a constitutional republic. We are governed by the people, something that leftists and Marxists hate. But he gets that. And I hope that he remembers it. I hope he remembers it. Here he is talking to uh, Christopher Ray about censorship on social media, something we all have experienced to one extent or another. Twitter's gotten much better, of course. Facebook is still a complete and absolute shit show. And I don't, I don't, that's not going to get better, obviously, as long as uh, Zuckerberg is in there. I hope that one day they will rein in these social media platforms from being able to censor free speech since they are such a large forum for people to, to, to talk. Anyway, here, here's his thoughts on it. Check it out. The FBI made the social media platforms pull that information off the internet Matt Gates came next from conservative sources. They, they did this under the guise that it was disinformation. Can you, can you define what disinformation is? What I can tell you is that our focus is not on disinformation, broadly speaking. Well, wait a minute. Yes, it is. Wait a minute. You're, can I you're, answer the question? You can in a minute. Your star witness said in the litigation, Elvis Chan, who's in charge of this, said they do it on the basis of dif disinformation. We need, a, we need a definition of what that is. Our focus is on malign foreign disinformation, that is, foreign hostile actors who engage in covert efforts to Mr. abuse Ray, our Mr. social media platforms, which is something that is not seriously in dispute. I have to stop phenomenon. you for time. That's not accurate. You need to read this court opinion because you're in charge of enforcing it. The court has found that, and Elvis Chan testified under oath in charge of this for you. He said 50%. He had a 50% success rate in having alleged election disinformation taken down or censored. That, that wasn't just foreign adversaries, sir. That was American citizens. How do you answer for that? Well, first off, I'm not sure that's a correct characterization. Comes right out of the opinion. You should read what it. I, of, of his testimony. But what I would say is the FBI is not in the business of moderating content or causing any social media company to suppress or censor. That is not what the court has. That's not what the court has found. And what the FBI has forgotten is they don't get to make law. They are get to enforce the law. And if the judicial opinion goes a certain way, that is the law that they need to enforce.
They don't create laws. And they still, he sits there as if, oh no, they were meeting with social media platforms weekly. They were meeting with Facebook weekly and Twitter, having them take down all kinds of things they didn't like from conservative sources and anybody who questioned the election. So give me a break. And Matt Gates was sitting next to him right there. And I want to take this opportunity to say thank you, Matt Gates, because you put your career and, and the Gates eight for that matter, but particularly Matt for leading the charge, you put your career on the line to bring accountability and to expose the chaos that is in the House of Representatives. You took down Speaker McCarthy because he did not keep his commitments his promises that he made in order to even become speaker in the first place. You held it. You came back from recess with a new vigor. I think most of us saw it. You came back with a new purpose, it looked like. And you went after him like the shark that you are, like the firebrand that you are. And I think the American people owe Matt Gates a huge thank you, a massive thank you for having the courage, having the ethics, ethics, having the fortitude, the balls even, to stand up to the system and expose them for what they are. I think that people learned a lot going through this process. You know, it could have gone, we could have ended up with Speaker Emmer. That would have been horrible. That would have been considered a loss. But now we have somebody who I think is far above better than McCarthy. And it definitely advanced the football down the field. So it's really hard to complain. He's in. The chaos is over for now. I'm sure there'll be more. Change change is tough. Change is tough. I got one more clip I'm going to play because, I, again, I think it's just important to kind of see who this guy is. And when you hear someone talk for themselves and the issues they feel strongly about, you get kind of a good idea. So check it out. Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution itself expressly states that the sole power of impeachment belongs here to this house. And then Article 2, Section 4 says, listen to the language carefully. It's expressly written in the Constitution. This is not political talking points. We're not making this up. It says in Article 2, Section 4, that the president shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. My friends, I just listed just a small sampling, just the tip of the iceberg of, of the credible allegations and the mounting evidence that shows that Joseph Biden has engaged in bribery schemes, pay-to-play schemes. This is what the evidence shows. We have to follow it. We took an oath to uphold the Constitution. The Constitution requires this action. The inquiry is the appropriate step. We have no choice to pursue the facts wherever they lead, and we will leave no stone unturned. So there you go. So we've heard how he approached the impeachment of Trump and defended him. We've heard how he feels about election interference. And now we've heard how he feels about going forward with an impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. And so Joe, uh, Jim Jordan didn't get, the, didn't get the vote, but Jim Jordan does endorse Mike Johnson, congratulations, my good friend. He's done a great job on the Judiciary Committee, always prepared, always ready to take on the swamp. The House needs a speaker, and it needs to be him. And Jim Jordan, now it is him. It is him. And if that wasn't enough, 
do some research on this guy. Obviously, I can only cover so much here. I'm 15 minutes into the show, and we're going to move on because uh, I really want to talk about the state of education in this country, in particular, some of the examples like we have going on right now in Oregon, close to my home up here in Washington State. This was the this was the this was the uh, icing on the cake though. This is what finally convinced me. This was the best endorsement I could have gotten or seen in support of Mike Johnson for Speaker of the House. When you have an extreme leftist whack job like Ed Krasestein, a total absolute tool shed of a leftist, say this: Congress is in trouble if they elect Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House. Why? Because Trump appears to be orchestrating this, which means Trump will likely have a huge amount of control over Congress. All right, well, you know, that was pretty much all the endorsement I needed. All the other stuff, I, I probably could have foregone all of my research on Mike Johnson and seen that post on X all alone. I've been, okay, well, he's my guy, man. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. <laughs> Quick little update on what's going on or what has been going on, you know, this is not making the mainstream rounds very much with the Middle East and what's happening over there. Two dozen American military personnel were wounded last week in a series. This is after the BS, you know, after they said that Israel bombed a hospital, which turned out to be false. Two dozen American military personnel were wounded last week in a series of drone attacks at American bases in Iraq and Syria, U.S. Central Command told NBC News on Tuesday. The Pentagon confirmed the attacks last week, but the number of U.S. casualties has not been disclosed. Two dozen. Think of that. Ladies and gentlemen, that war over there is, we have two carrier fleets. China has six warships. It, uh, the Egypt military just went on high alert. The U.S. military is on high alert. We got a powder keg getting ready to go off. Let's hope it doesn't. Let's hope that calmer heads will prevail. Simp back. Let Israel do what Israel needs to do to protect their homeland and to cleanse not just themselves, but the world of the terrorist organization Hamas. Moving on to the next, next little thing I want to talk about. So, Oregon says that students don't need to prove mastery of reading, writing, or math to graduate, citing harm to students of color. In other words, they're saying that students of color are too dumb to meet the standards and to learn basic proficiency in reading, writing, and math in order to graduate. That sounds pretty racist to me. It sounds like what they're saying is that white people are smarter I mean, this sounds very racist. It is. You're pitting one race against another. You're saying that white people are superior because they can have better proficiency at reading, writing, and math than people of color. And this is not, this is another form of division. And it's a form of bringing everything, everybody down to the lowest common denominator. Instead of striving for excellence and exceptionalism, which then translates as adults into American exceptionalism, which is what has built this country to be the greatest empire ever to exist on the face of this earth. Instead of continuing down that path, oh no, we need to be a bunch of woke idiots just like everybody else in the world 
We don't need high efficiency or proficiency standards. We're going to lower the bar. We're going to lower the bar for everybody because, because of racial equity. What are we going to do instead? Well, we know what they're doing instead. They're teaching social standards. They're teaching transgenderism. They're teaching uh, about sex. They're allowing sexually explicit material. They're, they're teaching children not to trust their parents. They're teaching children that, oh, it, you know, if your parent doesn't reaffirm how you feel sexually, come talk to us. We're going to take care of you. That's what they're teaching them. And we're going to run through some of the examples right now. First, I want to play a, a, a quick uh, clip here from uh, regarding this issue that's going on in Oregon where they're just going to let students graduate without being proficient in reading, writing, or arithmetic, the things that I thought schools were supposed to be teaching. For the next five years, high school students in Oregon will not need to perform proficiency tests showing mastery of reading, writing, or math in order to graduate. And this comes as the Oregon Board of Education unanimously voted to extend a pause on the graduation Unanimous. requirement yesterday until 2028. They're citing inefficiency and inequity. Joel Jones going beyond the headlines tonight to find out what this pause will mean for students. This is a controversial decision and one that's facing a lot of pushback. While some say the decision will lower state standards and cheapen an Oregon diploma, the Oregon Department of Education tells me this policy simply didn't work and disproportionately harmed students of color. Oregon, again, says students don't need to prove mastery of reading. Can you believe this? Isn't this why we send kids to school so they can reading, writing, arithmetic? That is why people go to school. Instead, we're teaching social diversity and that people of color are too stupid to meet the same standards as white people. And so we're going to change the standard. Again, a bunch of racist shit. Oregon high school students won't have to prove basic mastery of reading, writing, or math to graduate from high school until at least 2029, the State Board of Education decided unanimously on Thursday, extending the pause on the controversial graduation requirements that began in 2020. So they put in a temporary thing, and as often with leftists and Marcus, if, if it works to advance their cause, they will extend it indefinitely. The article continues, higher rates of students of color, students learning English as a second language, and students with disabilities ended up having to take intensive senior year writing and math classes to prove they deserve a diploma. That denied those students the opportunity to take an elective. Despite the lack of evidence, the extra academic work helped them in workplace or college. How dare they have to work harder to meet the proficiency standards. How dare they have to learn English and like be able to communicate and be able to advance and work at the same level and meet the same requirements that everybody else does. That would be horrible. So we'll just get rid of the fucking requirements. Good Lord. And in fact, on that, <laughs> all right. We're going to go on. It, Oregon is not the only place that's this, this pursuing this absolute insanity. New York is also doing the same thing. 
New York will change what it takes for students to reach proficiency on state math and English language arts tests, calling last year's lower scores the new normal. The new. You see, they didn't do well last year. And so we need to now lower the standards to that level. And if they don't meet that, they'll lower it to the next lowest level so that everybody can be at the lowest common denominator. Okay? A scoring committee that reports to the Board of Regents said Monday that, let me, let me, Blow this up here so I can I can actually see it, and you can too. A scoring committee that reports to the Board of Regents said Monday that they must take into account the results of last year's test for students in grades three through eight, three through eight, young kids, to determine whether schools are showing improvement from year to year. On Thursday, the committee wanted to clarify that they must also reset scores because tests will have new performance standards. So let me see if I, if I got this right. They did shit last year. The teachers didn't do their job. The kids didn't learn what they needed to learn because they were too busy teaching them diversity and transsexualism and sexuality. So they didn't learn how to read and write and do math. Therefore, since the teachers didn't, the districts and the teachers did not do their jobs, we're going to lower the standards for everybody. And of course, once again, it disproportionately affects people of color. And here's the end of the article. This was their closing argument. Again, this, this one's in New York. So you don't put a test in front of a student and completely demoralize them, she said, adding, we're looking at new ways to measure what students know. The idea that there's more to a student than a standardized test. That last part sounds okay on the surface, but you got to look, just brush off the dust on top to see what's underneath. It's not hard. The bottom line is we're looking at lower proficiency standards and how those standards are determined while an entire generation of children are being left behind. But it's also going on in Nevada. State Board of Ed worries goalposts moving too far from proficiency. You think? Well, let's take a look. State Board of Ed worries goalposts moving too far from proficiency. The Nevada State Board of Education worried at its latest meeting whether its own goalposts, its ability to keep up with federal, federal Every Student Succeeds Act's accountability measures to help students perform with competence were being kept far out of reach of children and educators. Nevada students have not been making growth since the pandemic, causing states and district officials to rethink academic innovation strategies to improve efficiency. How about you just teach them? How about you just teach them? You know, I, there was uh, another article I read. And I thought that I had grabbed the clip, but I, I didn't see it here. But the, the, the gist of it was, and the, and the closing line of it was that, that we need to readjust the standards because they need to be able to do other things to help them get into college and succeed at life, such as electives and social activities and athletics. I thought that knowing how to speak the language of the country you lived in would... <laughs> 
would be helpful in college and in life. I thought that having a habit and a desire to excel, having a disciplined mind and body to succeed and to strive for excellence, to be better. I thought that that was always kind of important personally for success in education and life. So while they're dumbing down our kids, another generation, because we are, like I said, we already know what's going on in college campuses across the country right now. So they're already ruined. We're going after the next generation. While we're dumbing them down, we're also separating them from the family unit by saying, look, if you don't trust your parents, just come to us. The school, the state will take care of you. In Washington state, in fact, if, if, a, if a minor doesn't feel affirmed with their sexuality at home, they can run away and go to a state shelter and the state basically takes charge of their life and they're not required. In fact, they're required to not tell the parent where the child is. Yes, this is a real thing. And it's right out of the playbook of the communists. And here's a good video I found that demonstrates that in a minute and 40 seconds. It's a fairly long clip, longer than I usually play. But I'm going to go ahead and drop it and just check it out. This comes, this is explaining from a person what it's like in China, how they control the children, how they separate them from the family unit and how that's happening here in America. Check it out. My school principal actually came to me several times and told me not to be a part of my parents and to report any activity that my parents would do. They're instilling all the lies and hatred into the younger generation. The young people are used today to do the American Cultural Revolution, to turn the kids basically not to trust their parents anymore and say, oh, my parents don't understand me. I'm confused. I need to turn to my teachers, turn to other authority figures. Look at the mouse cultural revolution to see how many similarities are there. Yesterday, I asked ChatGPT, are there any similarities between today's woke revolution and Chairman Mao's cultural revolution of the 1960s? And it wrote back, how long do you have? And there are, there are a lot of similarities between the Mao Cultural Revolution and what's happening right here in the United States. And the youth willingly go along with it. Because they, they get convinced that, oh yeah, socialism's great. Because they stop teaching them history. They stop teaching them the horrors of it. They stop teaching about American exceptionalism. They stop teaching accurate American history. 
They start teaching them to distrust their parents, that we have racism rampant and it's systemic, that if you're a person of color, you're unable to meet the same standards as someone who's white. That if your parents don't respect your sexuality, then you can report them to the state via the school counselor. Lots of similarities. This is a mother at a school board meeting. Of course, these videos just blow up all over the place. And she tries to show a graphic that is readily available to grade school children in her school district. And the police move in. The cops move in to take the display from her so she cannot show it. So it's too pornographic or too offensive or too vulgar or too explicit to be shown at a school board meeting. But it can be available to your children at the grade school library. Shameful, base, and degrading. All seven members of the committee were also asked to um, look at this image. This was in the book and they all unanimously said that this and along with that 15 page okay this is in children's libraries here in hillsborough county approved by that committee unanimously at plant high it's in multiple schools there's 10 images of that woman's naked breast in that book thank you thank you next thank you thank you but then they go ahead and i mean that a cop literally went in there removed her her exhibit of what was going on in their school district. And this is what's going on across the country. Up here in Washington State, in Blaine, they have a, they're teaching children how, 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 how privileged are you? How privileged are you? And they have a, they have a worksheet that they have to do, the power of, of privilege checklist. And if you look at it, it says, some of the things that they're that the check boxes, if you have privilege and you have less privilege, so two two columns, and you have to go down, and then you score yourself at the end. So the first column are you, or men, women, white people of color, homosexual, lesbian, gay, bi, or heterosexual, excuse me, lesbian, gay, bi, non-transgender, transgender, wealthy, poor, adult, child. Traditionally educated, self-educated. And the list goes on. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, really. It, let me see if I, can, if I can blow this up just a little bit more. No, I guess I can't. Sure I can. Sure I can, because I want to go down this list. Let's go down this list. Young adult or middle age, child or older person, English speaking or other language. Again, the columns on the right mean that you are less privileged. The columns on the left, as you're, as you're looking at it, mean that you're more privileged. English speaking versus other language speaking. Average size versus other sizes. White collar versus blue collar. Non-institutionalized versus institutionalized. Non-victims versus survivors. Christians 
versus those that believe other than Christians. North America versus the rest of the world. Two heterosexual parents per family versus other family compositions. Healthy versus less healthy. Landowners versus tenants. And again, this exercise, it says, is to help you learn about those areas of your life in which you have privilege and those which you do not. Please look at the descriptions in each column. Check off each column that des- describes or that where the descriptions apply to you. When you are finished, give yourself one point for each item checked off in the column marked norm and one point for each in the column marked other. Subtract the total of the other column from those to the norm column. This will give you your power privilege score. Are you fucking kidding me? We're, we're having kids. This is in Bland School District in Washington State. We're having kids score themselves compared to their classmates based on a system of haves and have-nots in different social parts of society and cultural parts of society. And then the difference between the score is how privileged you are. So now we have a privileged score. You see what they're teaching them. Their privilege score is normal. In fact, we should have privilege scores. Everybody should have a privilege score. Pretty soon we'll have a social credit score. They're grooming them to accept that you can have, oh, I am privileged, so that when they're adults and a social credit score system such as China has is put into place, it'll be perfectly normal to them. And they will accept it. In fact, embrace it. Because after all, we all must live in equity and harmony for the benefit of of the common good and the state. I'm sure you all, I'm going to blow this letter up too. I'm sure you all remember the Scholastic thing. Remember uh, back in the, I remember getting these things in school. I'm an avid reader, still still am. I'm, I'm borderline bibliophile. I mean, I read 35, 40 books a year. And usually have two or three going at the same time. But I remember you would get that uh, black, you remember that paper? It was kind of newspaper print and you would go through it. It had all the books and stuff that you could buy. Very cool. I loved, I, I would check off all the books that I wanted. And of course my parents would let me have like two or three out of the out of the thing. And then you would take the order form back to class and give it to your teacher with the check from your parents. Yeah. So they're, they're updating. Uh, dear authors and illustrators, I don't think that parents were supposed to see this because it's not addressed to them, but it made its way out. They want to apologize on behalf of Scholastic, even if the decision was made with good intentions, and they're talking about restricting materials that that parents can have. We apologize to every author, illustrator, licensor, education, librarian, parent, and reader who was hurt by our action. We recognize and acknowledge the pain caused and that we have broken the trust of some publishing communities, customers, friends, and partners. This case will be discontinued starting with our next session in January. And here's what they are going to reinstitute. Here's what they're basing their curriculum and their reading materials offered to students on. Our commitment to BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus authors and stories remains foundational for our company. Not just a part of it, but part of their foundation. It was never part of their foundation. It, it changed, obviously, 
Scholastic believes in basic freedoms for all individuals. We oppose discrimination of any kind on the basis age, race, sex, creed, color, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, expression, or national origin. We're committed to providing access and choice and helping young children. Basically, we're, we're committed to helping young children get sexually explicit material in school and through our publishing company because, you know, in the name of equity and social acceptance and wokeism. So what are they teaching your kids? Well, they're teaching them that, you know, this is in a high school. Keep in mind, this is in a high school. Marching down the hall, probably a lot of them who identify as, as queer or transgender or whatever the hell they are, people that the Muslim faith in many parts of the world would, would have killed. They would certainly not be accepted. And here they are. That's what they're teaching them. You know what else they're teaching them? Things like this. Here's a couple of dudes that obviously have uh, issues uh, in dresses having a conversation and uh, about how parents should raise their children. Neither one of these men has children. And uh, here's what they had to say. It's happening. And so this idea that there was ever two genders is a fallacy. Um, all of this is a it's, it's built on eugenics eugenics and lies from the 1600s that we're still suffering uh, from and yeah. so two percent is a huge fucking number it's also an un, it's an underestimated number right it might be much more because and it could happen to know. anybody any yeah. of your family any of your children anybody that you love it is not a transgender or gender non-conforming issue right and how dare they use science to justify their sexism how dare they There's use science between science and sexism yes <laughs> Okay, this one I feel like is really timely with what's happening right now in Texas. What tips would you give to parents today that you would have liked to have heard when you were younger? What would you like to say to parents of kids to, to help teach their kids? Wow. Oh, um, wow. I think it's to do the work. I think my the work my, my mom is amazing my dad's amazing my stepdad was amazing they always use these terms do the work Karine Jean-Pierre uses that a lot we're doing the work President Biden is doing the work what the hell is the work and who the hell are you to be giving parents tips on how to raise children when you have never raised one <laughs> I don't know call me call me crazy call me crazy what else are they teaching your kids in school well, actually, before we go there, let's, let's hear from Vivek Ramaswamy. He has some ideas on how to fix this. Rather than teaching, uh, you know, sexual diversity and transgenderism and all that sort of thing, and get back to tr treating, uh, you know, teaching reading, writing, arithmetic, and exceptionalism to be successful, to exceed in what you're doing. Those are the things that we need to be teaching our kids to keep America great. And uh, it starts by holding those we, we, we entrust our children with 
being the school districts and the teachers by holding them accountable for the results that they pump out. I like this. What are you going to do for public schoolers because they like yeah. learn how to they are told what to think instead of how to think yeah so we need to bring merit back to teachers to make sure that the teachers that do a really good job get paid more and the ones that do a bad job get fired that's a big part of what we're going to do what's your name Ada. Ada, how old are you i'm 15. it's 15. we do have hoop we do hoop we have hoop we do have hope for the future generation there are those out there who don't like what's going on. And a lot, a lot of them are starting to wake up. There's groups all over the country that are starting to wake up. And, uh, and we need to help them wake up. We need to encourage them to be awake but not woke. Okay? It's important. It's important. But this sort of thing doesn't end at grade school or junior high or high school. That's where they start. And then by the time they get to the university, if they go that route, then you have this. This is at UW-Bothell campus up here in Washington State. Queer and trans time. Centering LGBTQI plus identities, share space, conversations, snacks, catering. Wednesdays, two to three at the Diversity Center. I'm glad that they have a diversity center there and that they're using the tuition of all students to create things like this. Or there's always resisting the standard. You want to go to that? Join us in informative, uh, informative panel about ge- gender roles and norms. So they're going to tell you what gender roles are and what the norms are. See, they're changing what's normal, though, right? There's always this biology, gender, and white supremacy, science ideas that influence social inequities and a unique career path. <laughs> this is this is. Ridiculous, right? Oh, there's this one too. Of course. Students, faculty, staff, walk out tomorrow. We demand, demand, we demand an immediate end to U.S.-backed Israel's siege on Gaza. We demand no U.S. aid for Israel, no to normalization. We demand UW stop attacks against pro-Palestinian Muslims and Arab students, staff, graduates, and faculty. We demand UW cut all the ties with weapons companies, including Boeing, which arms Israeli's genocide in Gaza. We demand UW cut ties with Israel, reallocate funding, <laughs> funding 10 people cultural relevant study program. We demand. Piss off. <laughs> It'd be ridiculous. Grow the fuck up. Grow the hell up, man. This country, we, these people are going to be, the, the scary part is, and this is where you see things like what has happened with Anheuser-Busch, with Target, and things like this, is you get you get these kids, they're going to be leading not just our government in the future, they're going to be leading corporations in the future. And it's kind of scary to think about. And so we need to be careful about just giving up all of that to the woke mob and and the would-be Marxists and communists, okay? We need to battle in that area of education 
and, and the corporate ladder, but it starts with education in the arts. We can't just say, oh, I'm going to homeschool. And I think homeschooling is a good idea. Depending on your school district, I think it's a must. But we can't entirely give up in that arena. We must still battle at school board meetings. We must still be involved in school board elections. We must still be involved in local politics to the point where we can make change happen. If not for our generation, for, for our kids' generation, but for future generations. We can't just surrender and give it up because then we truly have lost. Right? Cultural arts, education, groups on campus, the culture of campuses. Those things are important because those people are going to be the future leaders of our government and of our private sector. Don't just give it up to the mob. I think that'd be, I think that'd be a colossal, colossal mistake. And um, I, I'm going to close here with a few things, and that is, and it's kind of along the same lines. And because our, you notice how words are changing. You know what they mean. They've all everybody catches a, a you know catchphrase. Oh, you're a racist. You're a bigot. You're gaslighting. They don't even know what these fucking words mean. That you know words mean things. They have definitions. And it, and it dawned on me this morning because I got someone on X called me. Oh, you know what is it with you Zionists and gaslighting? Because I support Israel, right? And I'd never met this person before in my life. I'd never communicated them in any way on social media or ever. But from one thing I said, I am a gaslighter. Really. Don't agree with how somebody votes? You're a bigot. You don't think that somebody should have the choice whether to, as a private business, whether they want to make a cake for a gay couple or not? Oh, you're a transphobe. You're a bigot. Oh, you, you think that people should have uh, voter ID in order to vote in U.S. elections? Racist! What do these words actually mean? Well, let's start with racist because that's a term that's thrown around a lot. It's thrown around so much, in fact, that it's cheap in the form of the actual term and it's thrown around more by white liberal asshats than it is people of color. And the social justice warriors out there, right? The ones who want to claim uh, self-proclaimed moral superiority and cast judgment on you and yours. What does racist actually mean though? A person who believes in racism, the doctrine that one's own racial group is superior to that of a particular racial group is inferior to the others. That's the definition. So does that mean that having voter ID is racist? No. But how about that school district who thinks that they need to lower their standards because people of color can't meet the reading, writing, and arithmetic proficiencies to graduate? It seems like they're making a judgment based on a person's color. And by saying that people of color are disproportionately affected, they are also saying that white people are superior. So doesn't it seem like the people making these rules, these ridiculous rules in our school systems, saying that we need to lower standards because people of color just aren't smart enough to do as well as white people on the proficiency standards. Doesn't it seem like they're the actual racists? That's how I read it. The next word. Bigot. The bigot word is thrown around a lot. 
Bigotry is a horrible, horrible thing when you believe that you're better than another because of class, societal advantage, or whatever it is. But now it's thrown around, whatever. I mean, if I disagree with you in an argument, I'm a bigot. If I think that, uh, you know, Trump is a great person, I'm a bigot. If I, if I think that, that the election was stolen, oh, you're a bigot. If I think that Palestinians don't have a country, oh, I'm a bigot. Or Zionist, or whatever the hell they want to call me. So what does bigot actually mean? And then we'll, we'll take a look at, at what people have redefined it to mean. What bigot actually means is a person who is intolerant or hateful toward people whose race, ethnicity, religion, gender, sexual orientation, et cetera, is different than the person's own. I don't hate anybody for any of those things. I do hate and disagree with them pushing those things onto our kids. But that's not bigotry. That's just, look, man, it's your life, man. I don't hate you. But hating a person is different than not liking what they're doing. And if I don't want drag queen story hour, that doesn't make me a bigot. That makes me someone who doesn't want sexually explicit material exposed to children. I certainly don't want children stuffing dollar bills in their G-strings or men pretending to be women gyrating sexually wearing G-strings in front of grade school kids any more than I would want them looking at pornography or opening up a Playboy or a penthouse or whatever it is nowadays. But it's not bigotry. And then the big one, gaslighting. Ah, yes, gaslighting. Everybody's gaslighting everybody nowadays. If you don't agree with someone, you're gaslighting. If you try to uh, express an idea that's different from theirs, you're gaslighting. If you try to debate somebody based on merits and factual information, you're gaslighting. Ah, everyone throws it around, man. Everybody's a, everyone that you disagree with is a gaslighter. And it's, it's made the term mean absolutely nothing. What is gaslighting? In reality, this is what it is. Gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse that causes someone to question their own sanity, memories, or perception of reality. It is a covert, not overt, it's a covert type of emotional abuse that often occurs in abusive relationships. The victim, victims of gaslighting may feel confused, anxious, or as though they cannot trust themselves. Gaslighting is also known as coercive control and historically refers to extreme psychological manipulation to commit an individual to psychiatric institution or cause mental illness with the intent to brainwash. In contemporary language, gaslighting is a colloquialism describing the subjective experience of having one's reality repeatedly questioned by another. So because I expressed my support for Israel on X and someone didn't like my post, I am gaslighting. That's not what gaslighting is. I told them. I said, you know, you may want to look up what that term means so you never have to look so foolish on a public platform again. They didn't like that comment. I don't know why. Maybe because they're foolish. At any rate, hey, there's your English lesson for the day. Maybe we'll make a regular of that. We'll just bring up words. Because they change the definition of words all the time. Maybe we'll just bring up uh, maybe not even every week, but every once in a while, we'll just do a little uh, 
English 101 with, with Dan Nunn. That might be fun. Anyway, hey, thanks for watching. If you've just been listening on one of the podcast channels, I'm on all of them or on the radio, renegaderadio.com. Make sure to check me out on rumble.com slash the Nun Report. That's where you can see all the videos and all the cool stuff that I put up. And uh, so make sure you do that. I'm on all the socials at the Nun Report, except for TikToks. I don't do that commie BS. And Twitter, we're there. I didn't get the. So on Twitter, it's just at Nun Report. Or just go to my website, man. Easy. TheNunReport.com. You can link into everything in one place. Anyway, hey, thanks again for watching. And as always, until next time, may the odds be ever in your favor. Cheers.